0: Let's turn in the Gospel of our Lord, according to Luke, chapter 10, as we continue our series on the marvelous teachings of Jesus. We look today at one of the most famous passages of Scripture, uh, well-known in inside and outside the church, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we'll consider this together. And... um, We're going to look at it in the context, not just the story, but it's given in the context of an interaction, indeed a challenge of Jesus. One thing that struck me as I've as I've studied the teachings of Jesus this time is that is how many of his teachings actually come in the context of someone challenging him. And so we looked at on on Wednesday night it's at uh, Mark chapter two, and it was like all these good sayings of Jesus came after people challenged him and him giving an answer. And this this passage is one of those as well. So um, let's look at this together and listen to God's holy word. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we praise you that you have sent your Son into this world to be our Savior from sin through his death on the cross, but also to be our chief teacher. Now, as we listen to the way that he taught us while he was in this world, we pray, O Lord, that you would teach us today, that you would challenge us and convict us. Lead us, O Lord, to a life that would reflect what Jesus is teaching here. We thank you, O Lord, for these blessed words, and we pray that you would bless them to our hearts and encourage us. Speak to each person here, each person who is watching online, and use these words to glorify your name and to build up your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the question that begins the story of the Good Samaritan is this, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to live happy in blessedness forever? And this is a great question. We have to give the guy credit. Uh, Though he still wanted to test Jesus, he had some wisdom in thinking about the right questions. He was thinking about not just this life, but the life to come. We are often obsessed and put excessive uh, weight on this life as if it's all there is. But not one of us can even claim that we're going to live out this week or this day, and we have a whole eternity after that. And the question is, what's going to happen to us after to eternity? How do we live in blessedness in this eternity? How do we find happiness in eternal life? That's the, the bigger question, even than what we do with the things of this life. You know, as you, as you noticed, um, when I wasn't here, I was traveling. And I went to Egypt for a second time. It's hard for me to believe that I've actually been able to do that in this year. And there's some unique things. And I've traveled. So in, in this year, I've traveled to, to, starting last May, to Egypt, to Mexico, to Spain, to Colombia, Egypt again. I'm going to Mexico again next November. And uh, I would never have predicted that things would turn out that way. But so what happened? Well, one thing is, I'll be honest, stimulus money. Um, I decided I was going to use it for something big and memorable, and so that was part of the reason we took our kids there is also um, my daughter was going to uh, went to study in Colombia and is there, and so I went with her and then also missions and engagement with um, our, our work and uh, our partnership that is developing with Mexico led me to want to go there and be with them. But I started thinking about traveling because one of the things you get to see as a pastor is a lot of people living their lives and, you know, they, they, the development of the various stages. You know, people that I, I was taught catechism class to as kids are now moving into adulthood. And people who are working are now retired. And one of the things I've often heard is, I'm going to travel when I retire. And one thing I've become pretty sure of is, you may be able to, but you also may not. Because you don't know what your health will be. You don't know what the health of your spouse will be. You don't know what the health of your parents will be. You don't know what the health of your kids will be or what their needs will be. And so I said, you know, we got a time when my parents can take care of our kids and your parents can. They're healthy. Um, our kids are, are relatively independent. And, you know, we, we have energy to work extra, extra jobs. If we need to make extra money, we're going to do it. But I say all that just to say this it's just there is a real uncertainty in life that uh, we need to think about and uh, to to take advantage yes to travel and to do good things but even more so to prepare ourselves for what comes after retirement which is eternal life are we ready for that and that's the question that Jesus is addressing here and it's and we're going to see that Jesus responds to this in a very interesting way not in a way that we might suspect and he begins with, by pointing the man to the law of God. And so if, um, and basically he says, if you want to have eternal life, do what the law says and you'll live forever. Jesus points the man to the law. He says, the man asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered to him that the law of God says, first, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may recognize that this is the answer that Jesus gave when someone asked him what was the most important commandments. Because it was recognized not only by Jesus, but by his contemporaries, that that the law had had some laws were more important than others, and the most important thing was the love of God, and then after that, the love of your neighbor. And we can also see that Jesus was what he was teaching, the heart of what he's teaching. He taught it in his own way, with his own unique example, with his own uh, authority. But he was teaching substantively the same thing. He's saying, love God and love your neighbor. And he says, that's what the law was teaching. If you want to say, what what does Jesus want us to do above all else? To love God and love our neighbor, right? And he says, and what was Moses teaching in the law, or God teaching through Moses in the law? is to love God and love our neighbor. This is like, this is huge. This is the thing that we should keep on our hearts and minds. We also can see that Jesus confirms that there is a way to eternal life. He doesn't say, well, don't worry about that because there's no such thing. He recognizes there is a way to eternal life. And he says that way is through loving God and loving your neighbor. And so there's the answer. Jesus says... You answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And so the expert in the law, finding that he had agreement with Jesus, wanted to still kind of do one up on Jesus. So what came to his mind? It's maybe not the best question, but he asked, "And who is my neighbor?" He was trying to—he was trying to kind of show himself better than Jesus, and kind of trap Jesus and show that Jesus didn't understand things as well. And so he comes up with this. Who's my neighbor? Now, it's interesting, that question is one that we can also ask ourselves because we have the demand to love God and love our neighbor. And we have our ways of kind of getting around this. We can often ask, and who is my neighbor? What What do I have to do with this person? Who do I really need to care for? Now, sometimes... We can say that what other people are experiencing isn't something we need to do something about. But is it always? Now, sometimes we have a false guilt, I will admit it, that sometimes we think we can do everything for everybody and we feel guilty about that, and we can't. But on the other times, we have real power to do something good and we don't do it. And that is something for which we should have real guilt. We do less than we can. So do you ever ask, when God says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus answers by giving him a story. He gives him a story. He talks about a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he says going down because Jerusalem was higher, Jericho was lower along the Jordan River. (coughs) And, And the Jericho Road was one that was actually notoriously dangerous. So this was actually a pretty common situation. You know, he's he's walking down in the worst part of a city at night by himself. And so, you kind of know what's going to happen when you begin the story that way. So it's possible even this man may be that Jesus is talking about they might have thought, well this man wasn't even very responsible. And then you have what happens is what you would expect on the Jericho road. He's met by robbers and they strip him, beat him, rob him, leave him half dead. And it's interesting how Jesus then goes to the story and it's like there's this difficult situation, seemingly hopeless, and then all of a sudden, here comes hope, a priest, a priest is coming, surely now he will be saved. You might have thought, the teacher of the law hearing that, a priest is coming, here's how to do What the law says. And yet then he says the priest comes by. He sees the man and he passes by on the other side. So it's a twist. And then another comes. A Levite. So Levites were one of the the tribes of Israel. From their number were drawn the, the priests. And they were sort of like the pastors of Israel. The Levites. And so you think a pastor comes along. Now we're going to get some help for this man. He sees the man, and he passes by on the other side of the road. Another surprising twist. And, you know, it's the sort of thing that can, that can convict us as well. Because we might say they had tasks to perform. They had things to do that were important, that were significant. They had service to do to other people. And they could say, we can move on. They might have even have concerns about their safety. One thing I read about the Jericho Road is they would use decoys. So someone would act like they're injured. And when someone came over to them, then the rest would attack them. So it might have been some prudence not to get involved in this situation. But then also, we can see that they were involved with the ceremonies. And one of the things we need to see is that the ceremonies of the law are much easier than loving our neighbor. It's always, it's always easier to say we say a few prayers, we give our tithe, we go to church, rather than saying the seemingly unlimited obligation to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we could say we checked off these things and we're done. I remember talking to some students and we had talked about tithing and, and I was talking about how we should think about all of our money as being a stewardship from God. And, you know, if we think about buying things, we should think about, is this really the good use of our money? Is this really the good way to use our, the resources God has given us? Do, is this luxurious item something we really need? Or something that is going to glorify God? It can not be. I'm, I'm not excluding that. But all I wanted to say is, we should think about it. Well, I got in trouble for that. The parents all complained because they thought that was too hard. Like they said, we should be able to give the tithe, and that's enough. But I admit, saying that you've got to give all your money and use it for the Lord, and that doesn't mean you don't buy things for yourself, but it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of thought. It takes, it's, much, it's a much bigger challenge and duty. It's a lot harder than just saying, I give my 10%. And so this is the sort of thing we're talking about. So sometimes it's easy for us to say we want a short list that's easy, that is our religious duty, without thinking about the things that are more difficult, the more complex things that enable us to, that we have to consider in order to know how to serve the Lord well. Then we have what the teacher of the law would have seen as, now here comes the bad guy the Samaritan. If you say the Samaritan is coming, then that's the bad guy. The Samaritans in the minds of the Jewish people were sort of half breeds. they were a mix of Jews and the people around them, but they still kept a lot of the traditions of the Jews. They were kind of the remnants of the northern tribes of Israel. And yet they had some differences about where they should worship and what Moses was requiring. And so they did not like them at all. In fact, If they were going to say someone is really bad, they would call them a Samaritan. So they called Jesus a Samaritan. And what that meant is, you're terrible. And so when you hear the Samaritan is coming, this is the bad guy. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. Surprising twist. The bad guy is the good guy. And we see what this meant. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so we see that when we want to get out of our comfort zone and love people, it's going to be cost you, costly. Loving people is going to cost you. And that is what it did with him. If we get involved with people, it's going to cost us time, effort, energy, and resources. Now Jesus didn't just say, now here's what I want you to conclude from this. He, be, he asked him a question. Remember, the question is, who is my neighbor? So he asks him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And you can see that the expert in the law knew the right answer. But he probably had a hard time saying it. (laughs) He knew Jesus had him. And you can imagine that slowly he said, the one who had compassion on him. He doesn't say the Samaritan. He doesn't even want to say that. It's the one who had compassion on him. He didn't like the answer. But the story compelled him to the answer. And this this question, this answer, teaches us something about love. Jesus teaches us that our love must be like the love of the Father. The Father is the one who has compassion on all. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And and so we need to have a love that's directed to whomever, whatever human being we may encounter. And even the ones we may not encounter. Humans, though, tend to be in the fallen world very tribal. We're witnessing some of the effects of that um, in the war that we're experiencing now with Russia and with Russia and Ukraine is there's the the strong sense some rightful it begins with a right sense of caring for those near to us but then often that gets out of bounds and we have a greater sense of anxiety than we should about our own existence we have a greater sense of pride about our place that we'll fight for and we must admit too we're not immune to that over here in the United States either we can have an inflated sense of the pride of our, own, of our own country. And we can do it with our own church. And we can do it with our own family. We can do it with our own football team. We can do it with whatever. It's quickly, we, we take the groups we're a part of. They're bigger than us. And so it has an attraction, like we're serving something. But then it can also sort of idolize ourselves through the groups that we're a part of. And so Jesus challenges that. And the Bible describes love as something that transcends ethnic boundaries and the boundaries of our group. I mean, how else could God say that to us than through this passage? To get us to think beyond the people that we know and are comfortable with, that we should move out in compassion to those around us. And you know where this starts? It starts with a general interest in humanity. Jesus, and Jesus put it this simply. How do you greet those whom you meet? What do they encounter when they see you? Everybody greets those they know. But even the worst of sinners do that. But you're to be like your Father in heaven who has a general interest and general compassion. It begins with something as powerful as a hello and an interest in someone. And don't underestimate the power of that in building community. But it also goes further, as we see in this passage. And so, what Jesus says then is the call to see what the good Samaritan has done. And he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Very simple, very powerful, very profound. It was convicting. The man had nothing to say. But it leads us to the question, how do we get the power to do this? How do we get the strength to love our neighbors as ourselves? And what do we do when we haven't done what God has required us to do in order to have eternal life? What do we do when we haven't loved God and love our neighbor? That was the question that Jesus was leading this man to consider. He wanted, Sure, he wanted him to, to show compassion on those around him. But he also wanted him to consider what had happened when he hadn't done that and what were the ways in which he hadn't done that, which would lead him to conviction. And so I want you to see a couple lessons for us. This story should be something that convicts us and that challenges us. It should be it should convict us because when we think about the love that we're supposed to give to those around us, we should see that we don't have the strength to do it. That very naturally we move just towards those we're comfortable with. We quickly move we quickly move to fighting and battling with our neighbor or running away from them and we're not equipped to do this we need to discover that jesus is the way to eternal life and so yes the law says the way to eternal life love god and your neighbor but what do we do when we haven't done that we need another way and jesus says that's what he's offering us whoever believes in me he says will have eternal life as a free gift to those who haven't loved God, to have those who haven't loved their neighbor, there is a gift. It is the love of Jesus' love of God and Jesus' love of neighbor that gets counted to our account instead of what we have done. That's justification by faith alone. And so that's what this is all leading us to, to convict us of our need for Jesus as the one who is counted as in our behalf before the throne of God As the way to eternal life. But Jesus doesn't want to just give us. A a way to eternal life. That leaves us unchanged. He also wants to change us. To make us the people who are like the good Samaritan. And so he gives us the power. Through his resurrection. And through his spirit. He is the one who enables us. To love God. By pouring the love of God. Into our hearts. That enables us to love God and our neighbor. And so when we hear this. It should convict us of our need for Jesus and the Spirit. He's going to talk about that in Luke 11, say anyone who wants the Spirit, ask the Father, and he will give so that you may love like God has called you to love. That's the grace of God. That's what the gospel says. The law is true. The law is good. The law is holy. But I am not. And so I need the gospel if I'm going to arrive at eternal life and to become the person God has called me to be that's one of the takeaways but the second one is it should challenge us because even though we'll never do it perfectly in this life and we're still and we're never count on our own righteousness as our way into heaven jesus still wants us to 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 live a life in accordance with the law that's still upon us and he still enables us and empowers us and gives us strength and he wants us to lean into that so when he says go and do likewise he really wants us to go and do likewise it's not all that he wants us to do you know it's interesting one of the things that that there's many reasons why i want to go to egypt but one of the things i enjoyed about going to egypt is it gave me a lot of opportunity to interact with muslims and in one way to humanize them because it's easy just a lot many of us may have never had a uh, many opportunities to actually converse with actual muslims on a day-to-day basis to actually understand a little bit more of what, the, what they're like in daily life, to see their virtues, to see their flaws as they are, and but also to have conversations. And one thing is that you'll, you'll be surprised to find is they think highly of Jesus. And he's a big deal to them. They think of him as a great prophet. They think that he's going to be the one who comes back and defeats the Antichrist. And so they like his teachings, and they want to hear, they're willing to, in the Quran, you'll find teachings of Jesus and so on. And those are significant. But you know, the thing they miss is that Jesus is much more. And one thing where we have a difference is that we believe Jesus is not merely a man and a prophet, but the eternal Son of God become man and flesh so that he might redeem us and give us a sure way to eternal life. And we need to emphasize that, of course. And, we had, and I was able to have some good discussions about that. But, at the same time, they are right in this. Jesus is also a prophet with teachings that we are to follow. And that should become a part of our lives. And we should hear, as we think about the world, the go ye and do likewise of Jesus. It's not all we should hear, but it's one of the things we should hear. And you know what? It's interesting christians have heard this and you know it was interesting when i was coming home i was i was on the the bus coming out of the airport of atlanta being driven to where we had parked our car and i saw and i was thinking about this message and, and that i was going to give in a, in a week or so and it was like a good samaritan project in the town of in the city of atlanta and i thought isn't that interesting? to see the influence of Jesus that people have taken up. They've heard the call and they've said, we need to do something. And of course, many of you know about Samaritan's Purse. It's based on this passage. And it's mobilizing people all over the world to serve people in places where there are people lying on the side of the road and who are in need of help. And some of our own people have actually served with them here in Gatlinburg when we had the fires. And so you can see We're doing it. We're taking up the challenge. And I can look around you and I can tell you how people are getting out of their comfort zones and beginning to hear the call of Jesus and reach out to those around them. But we still need to just keep asking ourselves, is there someone lying on the side of the road that I need to go to today? Is there someone that God has put in your vision that he's saying, you need to go over to that person? And maybe today you've, you know you've been saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Too busy. I don't know what they'd say and all this. Well, I say when you see that person that God's put on your heart, go ye and do likewise. Follow the call the Lord. Take this as an opportunity to recommit to with God's grace, with the power of Jesus, showing compassion to those in need. Because we still have a lot of ways of asking and who is my neighbor. But there's still this call, go ye and do likewise. It keeps pushing us and challenging us to receive the love of Jesus and let it flow out in new ways and with new power. Thus may it be. Amen.